today, Jeff Williams, co-founder and CTO of Contrast Security, joins us to talk about lingering vulnerability challenges, transparency in cyber, and securing app code. All this and more on the Cyber Jack Podcast. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us today. Excited to dive into software and app security with you. But before we get into that, can you share a bit about yourself and what you've been recently focused on in your role? So today I'm the co-founder and CTO at Contrast Security. Uh, We're an application security company. We have a platform of technologies that help companies get really good at building secure code. Uh, We try to fully automate the development activities around security. And then we also protect applications in production from being exploited uh, using a, a technology called runtime protection. So we're really, really excited about the successes we're having with lots of large companies and uh, you know, we'll continue to innovate in that space. Well, we're happy to have you on the show today to share your expertise in the field. From what I understand, you've personally been finding security vulnerabilities in software for over 20 years. What concerns you the most about the current state of vulnerability management? I mean, really, the most concerning thing is that we're not making progress. So I wrote the OS Top 10 back in 2002, and it's still basically the same after 20 years. Now, it's the same kind of vulnerabilities that we're, we haven't really eliminated many of them or uh, you know, made them harder to commit. So that's, that's kind of concerning. Because during the last 20 years, software has advanced incredibly. Uh, But in security, we haven't really made much of a dent. The average application still has about 25 serious vulnerabilities per app. Uh, Most applications are built with open source libraries that are out of date and have known vulnerabilities. And this might be interesting, is every application that we see has about 5,000 attacks against it per month. but to answer your question directly, I, I think uh, I'll just give one short story. Uh, one of the worst things I've seen is uh, was on a government project. It's a major government system that processes billions of dollars, uh, and it had uh, you know when we first took a look at it, it had certificate based authentication, role based access control. Uh, you had to install a browser plugin and get your own certificate installed into the browser, and it looked pretty solid. But after about two days of looking at traffic going back and forth between the browser and the application, I realized that they uh, they had completely messed it up. It was possible to just very easily forge an administrator's name, send it along with your certificate, and get logged in as an admin. And so just completely take over the whole system. And, uh, you know, it was, it was just so easy and, and such a difficult thing for developers to see because it was kind of hidden from them. So, it, you know, it's that kind of thing that really scares me is stuff that's just, you know, it's not hard to exploit, but it's kind of invisible to everyone else. Speaking of visibility, large organizations get a lot of criticism when their software has critical vulnerabilities that sometimes goes unnoticed for years, even with a ton of developer resources at their disposal. Why do you think large organizations can still struggle to write secure code? Yeah, writing secure code's hard. There's uh, this project called the MITRE CWE 
Uh, it's kind of related to the CVEs, the common vulnerabilities, but these are common weaknesses. And they've enumerated over a thousand different classes of mistakes that security, that, that developers can make. Uh, and when you read about them, almost all of them are a little tricky, right? Things like unsafety serialization and XXE and CSRF and SSRF and on and on. They're, every one of them is a little bit hard to understand. And once someone explains it to you, you'll be like, oh, yeah, I see how they could do that. They could send a, a serialized object that has malicious data in it and cause you to invoke a gadget chain that would allow you to take over the system. But to most developers, they're, you know, there's, they're not obvious. They're only obvious after some you know, incredibly smart security researcher discovers a new class of vulnerabilities. So I don't blame developers for making security mistakes. Developers are already overworked. They've got to constantly learn new stuff. Uh, so, you know, I, I guess, you know, most of secure coding is, is kind of basic blocking and tackling once you know about these vulnerabilities, but it's just the scale of the problem that's hard. Uh, the average institution has uh, thousands of applications. It could be APIs, serverless functions, uh, mobile code, web apps, and, and on and on. And, you know, if you think of these companies, you know, like big financial institutions or big insurance companies or big healthcare companies, they're really just software companies that happen to process money or handle, you know, medical uh, transactions and so on. Most of them aren't, you know, that's not their fundamental purpose to do security. And so it's just really tricky for big organizations to get good at building code securely. And to shift gears a bit to the public sector's role in transparency, since the SolarWinds incident and the Colonial Pipeline ransomware attack, we've seen a big push from the U.S. federal government for transparency and cybersecurity, specifically around software bill of materials. How do you think the government's role in cyber is going to change the software industry? I'm really glad they're pushing for transparency here. Uh, I think that the software market is broken. When buyers and sellers in any market don't have the same information, there's a market failure. Uh, there's a guy named George Akerlof who won the Nobel Prize for a paper in economics called The Market for Lemons. And in, he, he studied the used car market. He said, hey, if you're buying a used car and you don't know whether that car is a lemon or not, you're not going to pay full price. You're going to have to discount the amount that you're willing to pay based on the probability that it's a lemon or not. So you pay less for it than, than its real value. And what he did is he looked at that and he said, wait a minute, that means that people with good cars aren't going to sell them in the used car market because they can't get a fair price. And so ultimately the whole market tips and there's only lemons in the used car market. And that's kind of how the software market is. When you use software, you're probably banking online, your healthcare information's online, your elections, your government, your social life. It's all managed by software. But you don't know anything about that software, whether it's secure or insecure. You don't know if it's a lemon or not. So you're not going to pay extra for it. And so that means in the market, everything's kind of a lemon. There's, there's not much incentive for companies to do the work to make things more secure. So that's why it's so important that the government intervenes here. And governments should intervene when there are market failures. 
I'm all for free market forces uh, and minimal regulation. But when markets are broken, we need rules. We need rules that restrict monopolies and antitrust violations and, uh, and so on. This is one of those things. When the market's broken, we need the government to intervene and say, hey, you need to disclose what you're doing to secure that software. And so they've responded really nicely. The executive order puts strong pressure on companies to be transparent about the security things they do. And then the implementing regulations from NIST and OMB and some other agencies have been really great about saying, hey, you're going to need to disclose your S-bombs, your software bill of materials. What are the ingredients you're using to make your software? Uh, the recent executive, the recent OMB memo uh, 2218 says you've got to make an attestation to the software security practices that you're using to make sure your software is secure. And so they're going to check. They're going to make you defend what you've done to uh, secure your code. And then the idea is here that that'll affect software producers and make them produce more secure code because the market forces will work against them if they don't. Right. That makes a lot of sense. And now just to talk about this from the user's perspective, you've said before that it should be a human right for users to know about the level of security of the applications and software they use in their daily lives. Can you elaborate on how you see this situation from the user's perspective? Yeah, it's... I think it is a human right. You have the right to know about the security of the software that you're trusting all the important stuff in your life to. And I just you know, went through your money, your healthcare, your social life, everything. It's not fair to be forced into trusting that software without having the ability to know whether it's secure or not. Now, you personally, if you want to make a choice that you're going to maybe pay less and use less secure software, like, okay, that's a choice you can make. but Right now, there's no way to choose. And so it's really not fair. And people are making terrible decisions. They're trusting apps like uh, TikTok that uh, you know, are, are pretty much straight up spyware with some of the most important information about their lives. That's, that's crazy. And we need to, to emphasize the fact that everyone has the right to know this information. I believe it should be something that's made visible to consumers. Like, uh, and I've been talking about this for many years, is that we should have like nutrition facts labels on software so that you can tell what are the what are the threats this thing imagined, what are the defenses that are in place, how you know what did they do to test it, uh, how, who are the developers of this thing, what kind of ingredients went into it. I think that's the right way for for people to get this information and to be able to make informed decisions about the software that they're trusting. You wouldn't trust anything else in your life with, with, you know, give this much trust to other things in your life without the information uh, that uh, you need to make a decision. You'd never eat something, you know, with no food label on it. You'd never, uh, you never take drugs without a, a, a drug facts label on it. Probably never buy a car without a Carfax label or a water heater without an Energy Star rating. You might even not watch a movie that's unrated. Uh, everything that matters in our life has some disclosures around it because those kind of labels, they work. Yeah. It sounds like we have to hope that the industry can come together for a standardized nutrition label approach for the software and applications that we all use. So to wrap things up, 
What does the future of cybersecurity look like from your perspective? So I'm optimistic that this push for transparency will stick. It's hard to know. There have been efforts in the past to regulate cybersecurity. We've got a zillion standards from NIST and other organizations that are, have been out there for a long time that mostly organizations ignore. But I think this time could be different. I think these, this recent push has potential to actually make a difference. I'd like to see every piece of software that pr- that's produced should come along with not only an SBOM, but also a nutrition fact style label that says, hey, here's the, the security practices that went into making sure that this software is trustworthy enough. I think it means a lot more automated testing. Like in order to do to to achieve transparency, companies are going to have to do some more stuff. They're going to have to generate more test results and more evidence that they actually did these activities. So I think we'll see more automation around application security processes. Ideally, I think organizations should have a fully automated pipeline that does enough security testing to make sure that that software is secure enough for consumers to trust. Uh, that's going to be different for different kinds of software in different organizations. You know, if you're making an a, a online game or something, maybe it's a minimal amount of security. If you're making something that's going to process millions of dollars or billions of dollars, then you know, you're going to have to put some serious work into that automated pipeline. But if it's not automated, it's not going to work because it, it won't scale nearly enough. I think we'll see more standard formats for communicating about this assurance, this, this evidence that we're talking about. Right now, we've got SBOMs, we've got a few other emerging formats like Serif and things like that. But I think ultimately, whenever you buy a piece of software, you're going to also get a bunch of data about what was done to secure it. And that we need standards for that because it's not working to just have people like, you know, do it in uh, web pages and, and sort of freehand. I think this is going to be much better for consumers. I think consumers will start to get more aware. And you know, think how the restaurant market in New York City changed when they started putting letter grades in the windows of restaurants. Immediately, restaurants cleaned up their act. And so it's important to see that these labels are not really for consumers. They really drive vendors, software producers to do the right thing. Uh, that's how we drive change through the software market. I think all this makes it much harder for attackers. It's going to be a while before it's not pretty easy for attackers, but this is the path. So that's that's one potential future for cybersecurity. But I, you know, I've been doing this for a long time, and uh, I'm I'm nervous that the future of cybersecurity is going to continue to look exactly like it's looked for the past twenty years. That we're not really going to make any substantial changes and that people uh, are going to do just barely enough security to keep them from uh, you know, getting immediately hacked. But that means that they're taking risks. They're, they're taking lots of risks with their custom code. They're taking lots of risks with their libraries that they're consuming, lots of risks with their cloud and serverless environments. And uh, that's, not, that's not what I hope the future looks like. I think there's, there is pretty significant danger that things won't change. But uh, I'm optimistic that this latest round of standards, if, if everybody buys in and you know everybody pushes for them, then I think they really could make a significant difference. There it is. 
Thank you, Jeff, for coming on the show. We look forward to hearing more about what you're seeing across cyber transparency and app security. To all of our listeners, we'll see you next time. (laughs) 